Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I am very, very excited to present this today. I've never taught, in all the years that I've been pastoring, I've never taken uh, a number of weeks and dedicated it to studying just the book of Psalms. And so this opportunity came up this year, this idea hit us like, okay, let's do this. And um, it's really turning out great. Last night we had a powerful service, same thing this morning at 9 o'clock. And we believe, God, that this 1030 service is going to be the same way and even into the noon service after this one. I want to be able to lay some foundation here because some of us, you know, we take for granted, we read through the Bible, we think it's just all put together, you know, without any pattern, without any reason or, or, or just a goal in mind. And God definitely has a goal in mind. You understand the Bible is set up to provide every need that we have according to what our needs in this life and even in, in the next life. And so if you'll understand this, that the Bible contains wisdom, contains history, contains encouragement, hope, things of this nature. And so when you need hope, when you need encouragement, when you need a shoulder to cry on, you go to the book of Psalms, because in the book of Psalms, as we're going to see, all of these emotions uh, that could be pent up in any human being are, are, we are given the permission to release. Amen. But let me start out with some foundation, and I'm going to take you someplace say, well, I thought we were studying the Psalms. We are, but we're going to stop off in the Gospel of John first, okay? I want to present an idea to you that I believe is very valid. I believe it's going to give us a little bit more uh, insight and a little bit more appreciation into the book of Psalms. In the very beginning of the Gospel of John, we see one of the most interesting verses of Scripture in the New Testament. And I'm talking about John chapter 1. Listen to the word, understand the symbolism that's involved here, understand the reality of what the scripture is really addressing. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Now, if you understand the context, it's talking about Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And that's really not a good translation. It really should say, in the original language, it's more of this picture. And the darkness cannot overwhelm it. And we know light cannot be overwhelmed by darkness. If anything, darkness is overwhelmed by light. Now, verse 14 is the verse that I want to get to as it applies to our study of the book of Psalms. And the word, which is talking about who? Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, hone in on this with me. This last verse states that the word of God, the Bible, speaks of the person of Jesus himself. I believe that the entire Bible was given to us to reveal to us Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, from the book of Genesis all the way through to the book of Revelation. Now, if the Bible is a person, then I think we could safely call the book of Psalms the heart and the soul of that person, the Bible. The place of emotions. We know from Scripture that Jesus himself quoted from the Psalms on numerous occasions. 
even on the night that he was being betrayed. We're told that at the end of the supper, what we call, traditionally call the Last Supper, that he, together with the disciples, sang Psalm 118, which is a psalm of thanksgiving. As he's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane, imagine this, as he's on his way to face the most difficult trial of his life, the most difficultly emotional time of his life, he sings, he leads his disciples in a song of thanksgiving. The book of Psalms is the psalm book of the Israelite people. If you grew up in a church where they had hymnals, you know, you went in, you sat down in the pew in front of the, 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 the pew back in front of you had a little shelf and had the little books there and you opened them up and you stood up and maybe a whole bunch of people came and walked up on the platform with their robes on and they opened up their books. How many of you, how many of you grew up like that? Uh, I didn't, thank God. <laughs> I grew up in a spectator church. You just went there and you spectated. But that hymnal that you, that you had was a group of songs that were put together by your, maybe approved by your particular denomination. Well, that's the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is the songbook of the Israelite people. David was responsible for composing 73 of the Psalms. The rest were composed by Moses, Solomon, Asaph, and numerous others. Now think about this. If the Psalms include Moses, then that means that the time span by which, over which the Psalms were composed is about a thousand years. A thousand years of experiences being put into song. A thousand years of people's hurts and wounds just being born to God. A thousand years of people rejoicing over the things that God did in their lives. And we have it preserved for us this day. The book is entitled in Hebrew, it was originally called Telehim, which means praise songs. We get the word psalms, the English word psalm, comes from the Greek word psalmoi, which also means songs of praise. The psalms reflect the heart of the writers. Some are extremely raw. Some are worshipful and reverential. Some are just pure venting of frustration. Usually those are the ones that are David's. But all are inspired by the same Holy Spirit that spoke through the mouth of every writer of Scripture. As we continue through this series, we're going to learn that it's okay to bring your hurts and wounds to God. We're going to see that it's okay to get wild in our praise to God. All in all, we're going to witness the power of opening up our mouths and praising God with our voices. If I could share this personal note, my personal experience, and not that you have to make it yours, But my personal experience has been, I know, I I can use the gauge, there's a gauge in my life to know if I'm solid with God, in other words, if I'm staying focused, or if I'm drifting. How many of you ever drifted? Yeah, nobody wants to raise their hand. Just just let me hang out there, right? (laughs) And one of those indicators of where my heart is is that if I wake up in the morning and I've got a song just looping on, my, on the inside, you know what I mean by looping? Just, and sometimes it'll go on for maybe a half an hour until I realize, wait a second, I'm singing that song again in my head. Now this is a personal song. It's, some of it's based on scripture, some of it's based on older songs that we may have sang years ago, decades ago. 
How many of you had songs in your, in your Christian life with God, maybe songs that you sang in the church years ago, that when you hear those songs, it brings you back to an occasion, right, that God did for you, some triumph, some battle that you were going through, some, some major attack that you're under, and all of a sudden God comes through, and it happened to be during the season of time when maybe the church you're in happened to be on that kick of singing that one particular song. And so, so when I wake up in the morning, sometimes I won't even realize I'm doing it, but then I'll, all of a sudden I'll become very conscious, and I purposely asked the Holy Spirit when I was putting this message together, that the whole thought came to me of this, this song, this subconscious, and it's really not subconscious, it's a song that comes out of your spirit, but it's a song that was composed at a special time of life. And so I'll find myself, and then Holy Spirit, help me to remember, what is that song that I usually have going off in my head when I wake up in the morning? And I remember, and it sounds something like this. Now, this is my song. It's not yours. You can't take it. You got to get your own. (laughs) I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I will say of the Lord, he's my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. My soul follows hard after thee. Early in the morning will I rise up and seek thee. And because that has been my help, under the shadow of your wings, I'll rejoice. I find myself saying these things without realizing. What is that? That's a psalm. I'll guarantee you, David wrote down the things that he woke up in the morning and whoa, I couldn't sleep last night. I just kept thinking about these lyrics and kept thinking about praising God. I kept thinking about, maybe he came out of a heart of sorrow. Maybe he came out of a heart of heaviness. Maybe he came out of a, a night spent in fear, not knowing if he was going to wake up alive in the morning or if his enemies were going to defeat him. But every one of us, has the capacity to develop a psalm. I, I, I said this in the first service, and I don't know, uh, it took a little while for people to grasp it. I said, I've always wanted to do a teaching on Psalm 151. <laughs> there is no Psalm 151. And the Psalm 151 is the one that you compose in that time when God's dealing with you. And I pray that by the end of this series, in the next few weeks, that between you and the Holy Spirit, you come together and you compose Psalm 151 for you, your song, your song. And that'll be said of you as it's said of David. If you read through the Psalms, you'll see a Psalm of David, a Psalm of Solomon, a Psalm of Moses. And I pray that when you get to heaven, you find out that there's a Psalm that's been established with your name based on your experiences with God. Amen? Amen. In order to get the most out of the study of Psalms, we've got to appreciate the backstory. Everybody's got a backstory. Look at the person next to you and say, we all got backstories. And David was no different. David's a little, maybe a little bit more colorful. David could have been like a three-night miniseries. David had some major issues in his life. Now, speaking in all fairness, some of them were his own fault. Others were caused by those around him. As a teenager, he is despised by his own brothers. You remember, you might remember the story when the prophet Samuel comes to Bethlehem, having been sent there by the voice of God to go anoint the next king. He gets to the house, and all the brothers are in the house, and, and, and each one that came before him, God says, not him, not him, not him, not him. Well, finally, they're, they're, they're all done, and he says, uh, do you have any others? He goes, yeah, there's the little guy. He's out in the field there feeding the sheep. They didn't even think enough of him to bring him in the house when the prophet was coming to town. Later on, after he defeats Goliath, and as a as a, a prize, as a reward for defeating Goliath, he's given the king's daughter, and that seemed like a big deal in the beginning, 
didn't turn out to be such a prize package afterwards. He eventually is unappreciated completely by his wife and his father-in-law, King Saul, and has to spend about the next 10 years running from Saul as Saul is chasing David down to kill him. When he gathers a group of outcasts around him, their enemies come and burns their village to the ground and kidnaps their wives and children. You remember the story of Ziglag. When he finally becomes king, his family breaks down into complete dysfunction. His one son rapes his half-sister, and another son has to be executed for treason. David's got a lust problem. He gets his neighbor's wife pregnant and then resorts to murder to cover it all up. And after all that, after all the lying, the manipulating, the cheating, that child dies in infancy. But in spite of all this, God bestows a title on David that we see no one else all throughout Scripture receiving. God calls him a man after his own heart. Now, now mind you now, don't start getting ideas, well, if I do this and do that. God bestowed the title upon him as a man after God's own heart because there's one characteristic about David that we should be following. Now, I'm not talking about the adultery. I'm not talking about the dysfunctional family. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about this characteristic of David's life, that when David came face to face with his own sins, he immediately ran to God and repented of those sins. And that is something that all of us, if we have not developed into our lifestyle at this point in time, we should. Let me read to you David's song that he composed that we list and call Psalm 27. It's interesting because the, the Bible that I used for study here, New King James Version, has a little declaration here, an exuberant declaration of faith, and you'll see why as we go through this psalm. I want you to read out loud, very, very strongly, this first verse. You ready? One, two, three. The Lord is my life and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Doesn't that feel good? To make that declaration. Verse two. When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. David is remembering the tough times. And this psalm is probably associated with one of the famous battles that he had to fight or a time when maybe he's running for his life. But in the midst of all of it, David is remembering and reminding himself and declaring with his mouth and it's preserved for us all these thousands of years down to today. He is declaring, I know where my hope comes from. I pray that every single one of us can get to that point someday 
Say no matter what the battle is, no matter how fierce it is, no matter how, how hard it is to endure the attack that comes against us, whether it's an attack on our mind or attack on our body, attack against our marriage, attack against our family, attack against our finances, our health, no matter what that attack is, that we can say like him with all confidence, I know where my hope is. Verse four. I love this. I'm so glad that David included this here. One thing I have desired of the Lord. He narrows everything down to this one point. One thing I have desired of the Lord. That will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David is teaching us to keep the first thing the first thing. In other words, to keep our priorities lined up right. You see, life just has this way of keeping us scurrying around for all kinds of different pursuits. But the most important thing is that we receive eternal life, that we have a guarantee based on the word of God that we're going to be in the presence of the Lord, as David said, all the days of my life. David said, that's where I concentrate my efforts. That's where my focus is. That's where I am I'm honing in on. He said, if I accomplish everything else, no matter if I become king of Israel or not, the most important thing is that I would dwell in his house forever. And to behold the beauty of the Lord. To be able to inquire. What does that mean? To be able to get in the presence of God. To be able to ask God questions. To be able to pray. To be able to converse. To be able to have a relationship with this God, the creator of the universe. Verse five. There's some principles here that you and I should put into practice. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. Now don't get stuck on that word pavilion. I'm gonna describe that to you. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. How many of you have ever felt like you're underneath the rock? <laughs> a king's pavilion was a tent that was erected in the middle of the army encampment. The tent was then surrounded by an army or a contingent of brave soldiers. With all the army camped about, the king's pavilion was the safest place on the battlefield. Those who were fortunate enough to be allowed to enter the king's pavilion were protected by some of the strongest bravest and fiercest soldiers. When I read this, when I read that, that verse there, all of a sudden I started realizing, started seeing that picture of being surrounded, of being protected. And immediately my mind went to Psalm 34, verse seven. Listen to this, and this is a promise from God. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he, the angel, delivers them. As the battles of life rage around about us, we are safely tucked away in our king's pavilion. The Bible tells us that our, in Colossians chapter 3, your life is hid in Christ, with, in God. There is no safer place in all the universe. Those who have entered that pavilion, just take that, get that picture on the inside. Get that picture that in the midst of whatever battle you're going through right now, there is in the midst of it a place of safety, a place of peace, a place where there's no turmoil, there's no confusion, there's no danger, there's no threat. See yourself getting into that place of safety. 
of security. It's a promise that you have from the Father. Those who have entered his pavilion are protected by him. And even while the battle rages around us, we sit in that pavilion, in that enclosure, in that realm, safe and protected, enjoying peace and joy in the midst of every trial, every circumstance. Now, here's the practical part of it. And I want you to receive this with the right heart. I want you to receive this not as criticism, but as instruction for the future. Most of us have no problem running to that secret place when we're facing a battle. It seems like we get the most spiritual when the heat is the hottest. Amen? Oh, yeah, we know what time church is. We know where our Bibles are. We remember songs. We remember scripture. We remember praying when our back is up against the wall. We huddle up with Jesus. Yet, yet Jesus, you know, you're just, you, you fight this battle or this is yours. But I want you to understand that there is a realm that you and I can actually live in that place, not just visit, not just run to, not just use it like a fire exit, not just running is what I'm saying, when it feels like all hell is broken loose against us. I think the times that we draw close to the Father through Jesus, when things are going okay. I remember this story. You may remember me telling this, this testimony. When we were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, going to Bible school, we just barely made it out there with the vehicle we had. In fact, the driver's seat was being held up by a two-by-four that was leaning up against the back seat in this little van that we had. Uh, my son Mark was the one that had the pleasure to have to sit back there with the two by four next to the two by four and sometimes straddling the two by four. And so we just about made it out there and, and so we needed a vehicle, uh, not only to get around while we were going to school, but we needed a vehicle to come back to New Jersey with. And you know, we had made it a, a habit to pray about this and I personally had made it a habit to pray about this. And, and then I'll never forget one morning, it was on a Friday morning. For some reason, I don't know if we were on a break or something, but I wasn't in school, I was home. And uh, there was this little bedroom that we had up in, in, in the house that we were in. The house we were in was a pretty sizable house back then. And, and two of the boys were, were bunking together, so it left one small bedroom uh, not used. And so that would be the room that I would go to study. That would be the room that I would go to type my notes after class. That would be the room I would go to pray. I'll never forget this. This was about 10 or 10.30 on a Friday morning. I went into that room, shut the door, got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, not even realizing what I was doing, had certainly no idea what was coming. I said, I didn't come here today to ask you for anything. I just came here today to spend time with you. Just to say thank you for all that you've done. And I, as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I heard on the inside, today you're going to get your van. I was like, I didn't even ask for that. Today, you're going to get your van. And sure enough, that night, <laughs> we drove off a used car lot in, in Sepulpa, Oklahoma, with a brand new, well, not a brand new, brand new to us, a new van that we eventually drove back to New Jersey. And I thought to myself, wow, what a lesson I have just learned. You see, we're used to running. We're used to spending time. We'll take time. Got to pray. Can't watch TV tonight. Got to pray. Why? Well, you know, I'm, I'm in great need. 
We make sure we'll make time when your back is up against the wall. When it's like flames of hell are breathing down our neck. We make sure we make time. I stumbled that morning upon a principle that when you draw close to the Lord, he draws close to you. And he knows the things that you need and I need. Amen? Amen. There is a realm of the spirit where you and I can live, not just visit, not just treat like, you know, you, you, ever, you ever have to run through a building and hit the panic bar in the door? You, you just run and, and you make sure your hand is ready to you. You hit that panic bar and the door opens very quickly. We should not be handling our prayer life that way. We should not be handling our relationship with the Father that way. We can live in that place. There is a realm. Listen to me, church. I pray that you take this to heart. There is a realm of the spirit that you and I can live in. And in that realm of the spirit, the enemy cannot touch you. That is the place where it's fulfilled. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. It is not a geographic area. It is a realm of the spirit. It is a place of intimacy. It is a place of fellowship between you and God, where you get to that place where you don't even, you don't even realize the enemy is even, is even in existence. In the natural, mountain climbers know this principle, that there's a certain level you come and you're ascent up a mountain that you come to the place where snakes can't live. It's above the tree line. You can, you, can, you can hike all day long, you'll never see a snake in that area. Why? They cannot live in that environment. You are safe from any kind of snake bite in that realm. That same realm exists in the spirit. There is a place that you go and you're ascent in your relationship with God where you're just, it's just you and him and you're not even conscious of anything else that's going on around you. I, I would venture to say that it'd be very, very, very beneficial to us if we would get to that place. You see, that realm of intimacy is what allowed David to go face Goliath without any fear. That realm of intimacy was that place that gave confidence to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in the middle of that furnace. That confidence and that level of intimacy and that, that realm of protection is how Daniel fell asleep in the middle of a lion's den. And that is available to you and I. David now reminds himself of the why. Why? Why haven't I given up? Why do I keep pressing on? Verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Would you say that with me? I will sing. He goes on to say again, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Do you know how difficult it is to sing praises to God when you're in the middle of an attack? I don't know if you've experienced it. Because I guess everybody in here, not everybody in here has been any under attack. But let me tell you something. Not just from personal experience, but based on the scriptures. The praise that you and I offer up to God in the middle of the battle is the one that turns the tide of that battle. Let me read Hebrews 13 to you in the Passion Translation. So we no longer offer up a steady stream of blood sacrifices, but through Jesus, we will offer up to God a steady stream of praise sacrifices. These praise sacrifices are the lambs we offer from our lips that celebrate his name. Those are the praises that turn the battle around. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me. Answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, Lord, your face will I seek. There's a lesson to learn here. 
through this psalm, I hope that you learned this lesson, that when one battle is over, rejoice, then start preparing for the next one. Don't pray for relief, pray for more equipment. Learn this, that when the Holy Spirit is drawing you into a closer relationship with Jesus, it is usually for this reason. He wants to prepare you for what's coming next. And now, in verse nine, David begins to gird himself up. What does that mean? He receives strength, and he begins to declare with his mouth. Verse nine, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God, of my salvation. When my, my father and mother may forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me the smooth path because my enemies. Verse 12, do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. And now the statement that identifies God as the God of David's hope. Verse 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want you to hold on to that. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Church, listen to me. David, this is what David is saying when he made that statement that he believed that the strength he received to keep going on came from this one fact, that he was convinced that he was going to see the goodness of God. He was going to see the deliverance of God. He was going to see the rescue of God come in this life, and he didn't have to wait to go to heaven. David's song is saying this, and I hope that you'll say the same thing. Stand up. Every one of you, stand up as we get ready to worship. This is what David's heart is declaring. I'm not waiting till I get to heaven. There are things that I need right now here in this life. David is saying, I don't need courage when I'm in heaven. I have no enemies there. I don't need healing when I get to heaven. There's no sickness there. I don't need finances when I get to heaven. There's no bills there. I need all of those things here and now. David said, if I didn't believe that my God was going to come through, I would have quit long ago. But I know that he is the I am right now. You and I need him to be the I am right now. We don't need him to be the I am in the future. He's now. He's not the I will be. He's not the I was. He's the I am. David's song declares, Lord, you are my light and my salvation. You are the everlasting God. Church, my goal this weekend is for you, for all of us together, let's put ourselves in this psalm. Let's operate in the principles of it. Let's make David's heart cry our cry and let us declare that he is our light and our salvation. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today.